and thank you for listening to Let the Right Films In, your podcast of the IMDb's top 250 cinematic masterpieces. I am your host, and today I learned that I am not the movies I watch. I am not my fucking podcast. Tyler Hannon. And with me today is outstanding heterosexual Tyler Durden in the form of Kayla St. Ange. Hey. And joining us today, for the first time in a while, is Monica wearing her very stylish demolition fur coat. Hello. It's a very nice fur coat you have. Thank you. You know what I just realized? Much like Ryan Gosling's scorpion coat from Drive, Tyler Durden's fur coat is definitely out there on the internet somewhere. Oh, God, yes. And someone has that and is really stoked about wearing it. I'm already planning my frosted tips and wearing that for Halloween. So right. I mean, so- if you don't blow something up while wearing it, you're doing it wrong. I'm just going to say that now. It's, it's those little smoke bombs. <laughs> don't, those don't count. you got to blow down a building. <laughs> At least light it on fire. Right? <laughs> or like crash a giant ball, iron ball into it. Before we get much further into the movie we're going to be discussing later, the greatest movie of all time, uh, probably the best movie we've ever discussed on this podcast, uh, let's talk about some things we've watched recently. Monica, what have you watched recently? Well, I haven't watched much in the way of movies recently. Um, a few weeks ago, though, I did catch the new X-Men movie, X-Men Apocalypse, um, featuring a very underutilized Oscar Isaac. A very blue Oscar Isaac. A very blue Oscar Isaac. I'm honestly not sure if the X-Men movies know that people can be any color other than pink and blue um, as a... I think I've complained about. Zoe Kravitz was in that one for a minute. <laughs> I mean, th- th- there is that one brown chick, um, and then and then they killed off Darwin yep. in first class. Yep. So you know, p- pink and blue. You can be pink and blue. You know, I read an actually. Sorry to interrupt, but I read a really interesting thing on Tumblr the other day about how it makes actually zero sense that they killed Darwin. Yeah. Because he can literally adapt to anything and became like the cosmos at one point. Yeah. No, like Dar- he couldn't adapt to that. Darwin is like, reasons. yeah, is on. <laughs> Darwin's powers are on level with like Dark Phoenix powers. Um, admittedly, I did enjoy Sansa Stark as Jean Grey. I mean, I could pretend to use the actress's names, but we all know her as Sansa Stark. <laughs> um, she she did a really good job. Um, and also, what's his name face from American Horror Story as Quicksilver? Mm. His moments in that movie were worth everything else like it made all the awkward annoying parts worth it because his scenes were just on point um Um, but x-men apocalypse it was a movie it happened Uh, i have nothing really positive or negative to say about it in the (laughs) end it was i was entertained for a couple of hours but i'm not gonna go in pursuit of it anytime soon. That is unfortunately how I feel about all of the X-Men movies, particularly like this new set of them. <laughs> Which is disappointing for me because I really enjoy looking at Michael Fassbender's face and I wish I had a better reason to do it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I would just love to like phone it in as hard as Jennifer Lawrence does in those movies and make a billion dollars. Like, yeah. I could do that at my job. She's not trying at all. <laughs> she is not. Oh, my God. She's like, excuse me. I bet you on set, like, everybody has to refer to her as Oscar winner. Jennifer <laughs> Lawrence. Just to, like, remind them who they're dealing with. Right. right. <laughs> uh, but... Uh, and then I'm also starting the final season of Lost Girl, which has been on Netflix admittedly for a couple of months, but I've been avoiding it because don't want it to end. 
My beautiful succubus <laughs> bisexual representation is lovely and it makes me feel happy and so but it's really good season. Um, the whole show is great for like cheesy urban fantasy but still great. <laughs> I've never watched that show. I actually have been meaning to. The girl that's in that with uh, Kazemia Solo is in season three of Orphan Black, which is how I found out about Lost Girl. So awesome! I'll have to watch. You no, know, her character in, Lo- in Lost Girl is amazing. It's just, awesome. She's just like a delight. <laughs> I've seen, it's funny because I've seen pictures of her in that show, and like on Orphan Black, she's like a blonde, like fairy princess, like with glitter all over her eyes. And then like you look up a picture from Lost Girl, and you're like, oh, she's a gothy bitch. <laughs> so many is that things like British can be different. Or Canadian. Okay. It actually, you. Okay. It actually, the last season was filmed not far from where I was living in Toronto. That's awesome. So I got to see some of the trailers and stuff, and I, I did. You should I have only, tried to be an extra. I only attempted to stalk the cast a little bit. Just um, a little bit. Just to say hi. You know. <laughs> but anyway, that, yeah. I think that's all I've been really been watching lately, besides repeats of Leverage and Scrubs. <laughs> which are my go-tos Scrubs. <laughs> well Kayla have you watched anything recently yes I have so on that tangent I guess I'll start with this one uh, I have finally convinced Ben to watch Orphan Black with me and like not that he didn't want to watch it it's just we ended up accidentally watching all of Battlestar Galactica first <laughs> <laughs> which I do not regret <laughs> and you still haven't watched Buffy She's never gonna watch Buffy. Battlestar Galactica was happen. probably better than Buffy, and also I have a blood oath against Joss Whedon. No, that's why you have to watch Buffy before he got. Awful. I feel like I'll just be mad at him the whole time. But anyway. <laughs> but then I'd also be like, you know, then there's Angel, and the fifth season. Of if Angel's I wanted really to good. look, if I wanted to watch like a mopey white dude whining about things, I could turn into literally any TV show. Like it doesn't have to be Angel. The point being, watching Orphan but Black Fred. right now. But Fred. Oh my god. You don't know who Fred is. I don't. Why do my sections always get interrupted? Like, it's like a weekly occurrence now. I didn't now. do it this time. Monica's the one who brought up Yeah, Buffy. but Monica like isn't the one that always does it, so Monica gets a pass. <laughs> Why am I getting called out this time? We're just carrying on the conversation. Is this revenge for the Chris Evans corner, maybe? <laughs> oh, dear God. I mean, while we're on the subject. <laughs> I forgot the last time we recorded with Monica, I stormed away from this table. <laughs> Because of, a really, because of a really great section in the podcast that is great and a hugely wonderful feature that our fans enjoy and love. Anyway, Orphan Black is awesome and it is super fun to rewatch it because it's one of those shows where it's like you know that there's a bigger picture going on because supposedly they sat down and planned out all five seasons before they actually started doing the show. So... It's nice to like watch everything and con- like know what's going to happen in the future and see how it relates to the episodes in the past. And I guess like I can't say enough good things about Tatiana Maslany's acting because it's insane. Like I am constantly forgetting that she's actually only one person just because like the clones are so different and the way that they all carry themselves and talk is completely different. And they all have different love interests, and like you can feel like which one, it, like I, it, I don't know, it's crazy. And she probably made a pact with Satan at some point to make it happen, <laughs> because it <laughs> seems like it shouldn't be possible to do the things that she does. As do we all. There's this. I, I will do this in a non-spoilerly way, but the best example I have of it is in 
one scene, I think it's the, at the end of season two, um, I was watching the scene and I was like, oh man, like maybe this is starting to take a toll on her. Like her accent for this other clone is starting to come through in this one. And then like two seconds later, she's like, ha it was me the whole time. I'm like, ah I doubted you and I was wrong. I'm so sorry. You were just doing it the whole time. It was still perfect. But yeah, so really good sci-fi show, really interesting, strong female characters, even if they are played by the same person. I will take what I can get. <laughs> I mean, I will admit that was my favorite Tumblr meme for a while. It's like, I'm not me. You're not you. We're all just Tatiana. <laughs> <laughs> There's actually an Orphan Black podcast called Tatiana is Everybody. <laughs> and I I started listening to the first episode of it the other day, and I need to actually like sit down and finish it because it seems pretty fun. But it's a great title all around. <laughs> but yeah. Um, yeah, so the other thing that I want to talk about, uh, so we live near Ann Arbor, and a couple weeks ago... In Michigan. Yeah. I would assume that they know where Ann Arbor is. Anyway, (laughs) (laughs) we were lucky enough to catch the tail end of the Cinetopia Film Festival, and the movie we saw was called The Eyes of My Mother, and I have to say, we decided to see this movie on a whim because I remembered that it was the last day of the film festival, we were at Starbucks, and I was looking at the descriptions for the movies on the website, and I was like, oh, this movie sounds really good. Like, it kind of looks like it might be a little bit up our alley. So the description was akin to uh, something like, Francisca's mother taught her to view the world through pragmatic eyes and not be afraid of death because she was a surgeon in Portugal and, like, all this stuff. And, like, then a horrible accident happens and Francisca must learn to live in the world with the same viewpoint and yada yada and all this stuff. So, like... I mean, I can give the actual description if you like. I pulled it up. I mean, that's fine. That's pretty close, I'm assuming. (laughs) But, yeah, yeah, so it it mentions that it's genre-tinged. She learns to understand anatomy and is unfazed by death. Yeah, so the the description didn't sound like all-out gore, like, torture horror movie akin to Saw, but holy moly, was that what we got. It is not like Saw. That is Dude, not the... the first Saw, where... Okay, there, there are plenty of movies that go, that go there with certain gore things. It is not, like, in a Saw manner at all. Okay, but the first Saw really doesn't have that much violence in it, and it's mostly in your head. Yeah, so, but it still revels Okay, in... anyway, it's a fucking comparison, so if you want to be nitpicky about it, go ahead. The point is, she locks a dude in a barn, chains him up, gouges out his eyes, and cuts out his tongue, and... They're besties, that's what you do with yeah. their bestie. Anyway, so if you want to tell me it doesn't go there, and that it doesn't revel in it, sure, but Okay. Anyway, the point being... Tyler, movie... I would like to point out that you're Kayla's bestie. Not in the same manner. <laughs> <laughs> the movie was not at all what I was expecting. And about 20 minutes in, after I had already been made physically ill several times, and I realized what kind of movie it was, it was a ride. I'm not going to... like I Overall, I really enjoyed it because I am a big fan of horror movies, and this one was really interestingly done. But I just, like, I feel like I would have enjoyed it more if I'd known that that was what I was getting into. It really takes its time and yeah. really likes to settle into these long takes. And it's beautiful black and white. Um, like, it's all in black and white, and it looks really good. And there's some really interesting uses of the long take, particular one where it's aimed out of a window and you see the character go from inside the house to 
leaving the house and then appearing outside the window and it i think it takes its time a little too much at some point or like it just doesn't it doesn't need to be as long as it is but yeah. it's really well it's really well done and that's that is definitely a nit to be it's, paying, yeah, not it's, a serious it's issue. one of those things where it's like you can definitely tell it's the guy's first movie but i don't think it's necessarily a bad thing because you can see that he's going to go on to do great things yeah and another thing that i enjoyed about the movie is that we have a like i'm trying to remember i don't there's like one white person in this entire movie and um he is the psychopath that kills her mom and then gets chained in a barn for years and years. <laughs> but uh yeah, so the lead character is like really messed up, clearly, because she likes killing people, but she just... she's also a queer woman of color lead in the film because she makes out with an Asian girl later. So like she's just lonely. It's a good choice. She's... Like <laughs> she just wants to have a family. Yes. What's this movie called? Again? It's the called eyes. The Eyes of My Mother. Yeah. Um so yeah, it's a very interesting movie. Um, I feel like it's good to know going in that you're getting into like a gory horror movie and not learning to see the world through good eyes or whatever I thought it was going to be. Um, yeah. I, it, it has been picked up by Magnet Releasing, so it will be available later this year at some point. Yeah, there's not an official release date yet, but soon. And I would recommend checking it out. <laughs> Tyler, what have you watched recently? I have a couple different options to go with. We're going to start with, um, it didn't end up happening, but I was watching some uh, English language movies by foreign directors and the uh, foreign language movies that preceded them. And I watched Incendies by Denis Villeneuve. Uh, he is the director of Enemy, Prisoners, and Sicario. Which we talked about last time, Monica was on the podcast actually, <laughs> and we did a podcast on prisoners. So yeah. it's all it's it's all coming up, Denis. I tell you, he's doing Blade <laughs> Runner next, which great choice. Yeah. But so this, I I had first seen Prisoners, then Enemy and Sicario, all of which I thought were quite interesting, and uh, it, they were they're the kind of they uh, stoked my interest in foreign directors making English language films because I felt he was a good example of someone who brought a certain style and perspective that we don't see a lot of necessarily to these movies. And so I went back and watched Incendies, which is also on the 250 and is one of, is probably his most lauded movie. And it is, oh, I was, I was not ready for it because Denis Villeneuve really goes forward in his movies and there's uh, there's a certain turn at the end of this movie when you realize how things are coming together that is very upsetting and takes some time to uh, pick yourself up off the floor from but it's this really ex really well executed uh, international movie where so uh, there are these twins and their mother dies and instead, when the will is read off, instead of being a very normal, well, you get this and you get this and bury me here, it, it says uh, to the one, go find your father, who they thought was dead, and give him this letter. And to the other, they say, go find your brother, who they didn't know existed, and give him this letter. And until you accomplish that, I owe a debt. I, my promise is, remains unbroken, and you have to bury me face down without a tombstone or any accolades or anything. To which the brother says, what the fuck? <laughs> Let's just have a normal burial. But the sister goes off and tries to find these. 
And so it's kind of about, it's kind of, so that feeling you get when you have, you get older and you have a conversation with your parents about their lives before you were, you know, the only thing in them, as far as you knew, and how it can kind of blow your mind, these things you find out about your parents' lives. It's like this, but on a much higher level, because they discover all these things about their mother that they had no inkling of. They thought she was just kind of weird. But there's a reason that she's a little bit off. She has lived this whole life before them. When uh, their mother was young, she was living uh, in these war-torn areas where uh, Christians and Muslims were fighting a lot, as you see a lot of people massacred for religious reasons. And on the, uh, she's a Middle Eastern Christian. So the daughter goes to these Middle East, to uh, to the Middle East to find out about her, about her mother's past, and she's discovering more and more. And it becomes this really interestingly structured movie where much of the time is spent with their mother, young in the past, going with her on her journey as it become as it heightens and heightens, kind of when, without you realizing exactly where it's going. Uh, she gets embroiled in this uh, in this war between Christians and non-Christians and becomes a very key cog in that fight. And it's just interesting how it goes back and forth between the uh, this very big international incident in the past or in their mother's past, but also the you know, the fun little scavenger hunt that the kids are doing in the present so about their mom. Fun. It's like a domestic, it's like a, in the present, it's a dom, like almost like a domestic drama where in the past it's this, it's like this, this wartime thriller basically. And then when you realize how those things come together, it's very upsetting. It's just really well done. Villeneuve has an incredible visual sense even before he was working with uh, the god of cinematography, Roger Deakins, except for Emmanuel Lubezki, who keeps taking his Oscars. <laughs> but. Also, I just want to point out, I feel like the ends of his movies are always upsetting. <laughs> yeah, this just... is maybe the most upsetting. And the thing I realized watching this is that as much as I enjoyed his English language movies, this is probably his best movie. And as much as I kind of enjoyed Prisoners, Sicario seems to hew much closer to what he likes to do and prisoners is probably his least interesting movie and enemy is probably his most weird movie that just what? i don't know where it fits no. I, I don't know what, no well like obviously it's a weird movie but just how he has these like international border thrillers and then enemy which is like jake joan hall has enemy a was very normal i don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> but yeah so that went on for a while about that but incendies is really cool and, you know, I'm going to go with the most fun one. So The Last Stand is a movie taking place on the Mexican border about uh, an escaped drug lord, a, a local sheriff played by Arnold Schwarzenegger, his this deputy, <laughs> Luis Guzman, oh my God. and the local redneck, Johnny Knoxville. <laughs> I remember seeing it is. For this. It is the first English language film from the Korean director of I Saw the Devil movies like I Saw the Devil, oh I, <laughs> which is a really weird first movie I thought for uh, this guy. I believe his name is Kim Ji Woon, but I want to make sure I get that right. Uh, 
I remember seeing trailers for that movie and being like really interested. Yes. Like this looks like a weird ass western. <laughs> I remember walking past a wall of Arnold Schwarzenegger at the video store for like four months. So in the, in the first ten mo- minutes of the movie, I mostly was thinking, "How was this movie made? And what the fuck is happening?" <laughs> Always good. And this is this is Arnold Schwarzenegger like. Pretty soon after, this is like pre-Expendables, pretty soon after his time as governor, so I can't imagine what this movie was like then. Mm-hmm. But it turns out this movie that I initially thought was bad, and then thought, this is a really entertaining bad, is actually just kind of great. <laughs> uh, there is some really cool action stuff in here, and it gets super corny, and it, it's super over the top but in ways that seem kind of controlled and that are intended in a way it's by no means a really good movie but for dumb action fare it's done pretty well and kim ji woon's uh honestly if if this was done by just like your standard expendables director or whatever it'd probably be terrible but he has a really good great visual sense and there are some things that just really work about this movie to make it a surprisingly entertaining watch. I think, yeah, and I think that fits in also with what we're saying, where, like, not every movie has to be, like, an amazing cinematic masterpiece. Like, it's okay to just have a movie that's fun. It's okay to just enjoy a movie, even if it's not, like, it's, like, grandstanding, amazing thing. That was kind of how I felt about Murder Party. Like, it's not, like, an amazing movie, but it was super fun. That was also a first film, too. Like, college. But, there you go. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But Kim Ji Woon's just have like it's just I still don't know that it's the movie I'd want from this highly acclaimed Korean director. <laughs> I, I I still am much more satisfied with Stoker coming from Chanwook Park. And I also watched that. That was another thing I considered for that. That's why I'm bringing that up. But um, I'm much more happy with like a Stoker from Chanwook Park than a uh, Last Stand from Ji Moon Kim Kim Ji Moon. But it wasn't the travesty that I have been incl- that I had been inclined to think it was. I mean, if you look at, at that cast list, like who could blame the, you? The <laughs> cover is preposterous. It yeah. looks like <laughs> just like Arnold being like, "Yeah," like and power Johnny dancing. Knoxville next to him, just like, "Yeah." <laughs> I love it. It's I can't believe that movie is any good, but mm. it's kind of great. <laughs> Always like a really great. Uh, also, Forrest uh, Whitaker. <laughs> I will say, Forrest Whitaker. I don't know what he's doing in that movie. He's just, Forrest, besides collecting a paycheck. Forrest Whitaker is so underutilized in everything he does. Like he's he's like an Oscar-winning actor who's also in some terrible action movies. It's so weird. He was the best part of Repo Man. Oh God, I oh. haven't seen that in a long time. <laughs> You mean plagiarizer men? Oh, come on. Yeah, it's slightly was... different. <laughs> it's different enough. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't, like, you know, maybe it just comes down to there aren't as many great roles for actors who aren't straight white men like Alan Schwarzenegger. I mean, I, you know, that is. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so those were two really good movies I watched. One, which is an outright great movie, and the one which. Is a lot is very entertaining. It happens. 
Uh, I, I want her to talk about Midnight Special, but I need to. No, nope, we need to move on. <laughs> I haven't seen it yet, and I don't want you to spoil it. So. No, uh, yeah, and also I want to get better grasp on. We're moving on. We're moving on. <laughs> Besides, I don't want to spare the listeners any longer from our discussion of the greatest <laughs> film of all time, uh, the best film David Fincher has ever created in his life, probably. <laughs> the, the Spoken most... like a straight white man. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I just. Uh, well, we're talking about Fight Club. I want you to hit me as hard as you can. Why? How much can you know about yourself if you've never been in a fight? Wait, let me start earlier. Like many of you, I was stuck. No, you can't die from insomnia. I'd flip through catalogs and wonder, what kind of dining set defines me as a person? This is your life, and it's ending one minute at a time. I prayed for a different life. So... Make and I sell soap. And this is how I met Tyler Durden. Come on, hit me before I lose my nerve. Okay. Ow! You hit me in the ear! It was on the tip of everyone's tongue. Can I be next? We just gave it a name. Gentlemen, welcome to Fight Club. So, Fight Club is the 1999 uh, mindfuck thriller from, <laughs> from directing Masterminds. Uh, David Fincher, at, based on the novel by Chuck Palahniuk. 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 <laughs> oh, I thought you said Palahniuk earlier. I don't know. Based on there's, the novel. There's nigh in there. <laughs> based on the novel by Chuck Palahniuk, uh, starring Edward Norton, Brad Pitt, and for like a few scenes here and there, Helena Bonham Carter, most importantly Meatloaf, the god. And, and Blonde Leto. Oh, Bledo. Of Bledo. course. I can't forget Bledo. <laughs> that is Academy Award winning. Jared Leto. He didn't win as he didn't win it blonde, unfortunately. No. I went, for a second I was like, Jared Leto's not in a cat. Oh. oh yeah, he is. Yes, he is. Yeah. He is a very serious actor now and you you have to appreciate him as such. I have to appreciate him as nothing after the shit that's been happening the past year. Well, yeah. Once he now thinks that he's Heath Ledger, but once upon a time he was but Young Thirty Seconds to Mars lead singer Bledo, and we talked about Thirty Seconds to Mars on the last episode too. Monica, you just bring the something. Out of it. No, 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 oh, no, no. That was on the Shining episode because Thirty Seconds to Mars has the video that's uh, the music video that is The Shining. <laughs> but uh, Fight Fight Club wasn't a huge financial success. Um, it made thirty seven million domestic and sixty three foreign for a hundred worldwide take, uh, but it also had a sixty three million dollar budget. But since then, it has become... See, the thing is, you can't really call it a cult favorite because so many people will be, love this movie and it had a $63 million budget that I'm not sure you can call that it a cult favorite. Yeah. But it is adored by many people the world over. It has the worst fan base in the world. Let's it, just get that out of there. It is, yeah. <laughs> according to the uh, Internet Movie Database's top 250 cinematic masterpieces of all time, it is the 10th greatest movie ever. It's really number 10? It is the 10th greatest movie ever. The highest rated David Fincher movie with an 8.9. It was also, again, we're nominated for Best Effects and Sound Effects. So. At, like that I disagree with the Academy Award nomination because best effects for 1999 should have totally gone to the Matrix. And on top of that, the acting in that is what was good, not the effects. It, yeah. I will say while while some of those uh, those like smash zooms and that's not the right term, but some of those uh, moments when it's going through the going through floors to show the uh, 
the explosives and all the buildings and all that. Not as badly dated as I expected. I think the thing is is that David Fincher is such a like a legitimately good filmmaker that even his oldest efforts still hold up in a way because he did know what he was doing. Yeah. Before we dive into it uh, into specific minutia though. Monica, why don't you begin by telling us when did like what is your experience with Fight Club? You're the one who brought this masterpiece to us <laughs> to no, discuss. No, no, I demand your favorite film. I demanded to be able to talk about Fight Club for so many reasons, most of which I want to get the opportunity to rant about toxic masculinity and how it's displayed in so many different ways in this movie. But really, um, my first in, my first experience with Fight Club was at science camp. At the tender age of fifteen, um, we would have. I'm just imagining baby Monica at science camp. I went to science camp, <laughs> um, and we and we had movie nights. And one of the movies we watched at movie night on at science camp was Fight Club, and it was my first time seeing it. And I understand, particularly now seeing it again as as an older adult, but I understand how when you're in your teenage years, that like twist of, oh my gosh, Tyler and the narrator are the same person. Mm -hmm. That was just mind blowing at the tender age of 15. And it is still really well done. It's, it's a beautifully built up film. Um, I can't discredit the film for not, it's a great movie. Like as much as I hate the fan base and how the fan base is twisting the message of the story, um, the film is just so incredibly done. I, I can't deny that. <laughs> Kayla, tell us about Fight Club. Uh, so I also first saw Fight Club as a teenager when Trent and I were going through our we're going to be film buffs now phase. <laughs> Did you ever grow out of that? No. <laughs> <laughs> that is such a young idea of being a film buff too. Like we got to start with Fight Club. Well, I mean, we were... I feel like I think I had he had seen it and I had not and it was like we were going through we watched we were doing like all of the classic like white people movies so we watched Eternal Sunshine we watched Jerry Maguire and then we did Fight Club and there's another good white person movie in there somewhere but I Forrest Gump. no 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 I already knew at that tender age of 16 that I did not like Forrest Gump so Anyway, um, <laughs> I remember watching this, and I remember being 16 and having grown up in a very sheltered Christian environment and being like, this is the most insane movie I have ever seen in my life. I have never even conceptualized capitalism until right now, but now I know it's evil and Brad Pitt is hot. <laughs> Those are like my main takeaways from the first time I saw it. And I, I read the novel shortly after that because, again, we were going through a we're going to be smart people phase. And so I read a lot of Polaniuk and Fred Easton Ellis, which is embarrassing. <laughs> but um, he's your least favorite. I hate now. him so much. <laughs> yeah, but, At least you, you have a firm base in why you hate him. <laughs> Polaniuk, though, I, I feel like just to like take an aside about mm -hmm. reading his book. Fight Club is his most accessible book. I think so, yeah. Like, he's written some weird-ass shit. And, I, like, I, I've read quite a few of his stuff. But, no, that, that one's his most accessible, mm -hmm. and I see why people like it. But, again, it's dumb people who don't understand the message and how satire works. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, the, only, the only other interaction I have with uh, Polanyi's writing is when 
uh, someone read off to me the part a part in some book where a girl pleasures herself to a picture of Jesus, I believe. You know, that's that like the me? kind of like edgelord shit that he does all the time that I couldn't even tell you what that's from. That yeah. might be snuff, but like She's or sexually me. aroused or by me, Jesus. Yeah. yeah. No, pick me. I don't I don't think that was intended. I don't know. I don't know. Anyway. I just know that <laughs> it was Polania. Yeah, Polania has a very specific style of writing and it I think it definitely appeals more to younger people who haven't actually experienced how the world works <laughs> because rewatching fight club as an adult i'm kind of just like i mean can we just like chill maybe <laughs> like just, take a breath it's like, fine he's pretty <laughs> like, his, 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 his nihilism his nihilism is really mind-blowing when you've never experienced it before yes (laughs) when you have no idea that like sometimes you just like the practicality of being alive in the modern age is like you can't like i don't know the whole like you should never love material items and you are not your things and you're a zombie sheep slave to the capitalist economy it's like you know like not really that bad are literally every (laughs) if literally everyone did that what exists anymore (laughs) i'll actually get to that in my like toxic masculinity rant about this movie (laughs) as as aziz ansari said in parks and rec love fades but things are forever (laughs) (laughs) and i like things so i don't think that having things and enjoying having things is is that things aren't actually forever i mean okay yes obviously (laughs) being facetious but I, i i don't think it's i i think it's a really unhealthy attitude to like watch this movie and then base your entire worldview off of it. It's like really weirdly like satirically skewed message. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> because like having things is not bad <laughs> and like participating in the global economy is not bad. Britain's yeah. recent fuckery aside. <laughs> See, I always found this stuff interesting but I like I much more enjoyed the uh the the more in, in his head stuff, the twist at the end and mm-hmm. Uh, you know, just kind of dealing with all these things and his place in the world and all that. Because in the second half, then it turns when it goes like Project Mayhem and Operation Latte Thunder and all that stuff. I'm like, man, that, I, even even when I was younger and was like had my mind blown by the other stuff, I was like, that's just kind of being a jerk, man. What did that, like why like you're ruining people's lives just because anarchy, dog? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like that's just you're ruining the world for other people. Who didn't do anything. It is well shown that, like, straight white men... Well, I guess they're not really straight. But, like, that white yeah. men can't, like, do anything in their own self-interest ever. And that they will just ruin things for everyone because they feel like they should. It, it, so. it, well, they're straight white men in the sense that they can't accept that they're anything but straight yes. white men. Yes, okay, good. Even though the first, the first fight between our two protagonists... And the movie. <laughs> Pro and protagonist. Who's <laughs> protagonist? Um, the first fight ends with them sharing a beer and having some nice pillow talk with each other on the sidewalk. Yeah. And it's like, they basically just had sex. It's one of those things where it's like, I honestly think that it, it would be a much more interesting story with, like, two gay leads than the twist that it was the same person the whole time. But now it has spawned every time that ever happens. It's called, like, Fight Club. Yep. It's they Rashomon's that trope. It's actually kind of a bummer because like I like I don't think Fight Club was even the first thing to do that and I think that it has been done better in other places. But is the it's the notable one. To I do mean, that. yeah, obviously. So, um, yeah. 
Well, that's what we got. <laughs> I mean, as a story, it's been done better. But again, I think this you have to chalk this up to David Fincher and mm-hmm. his filmmaking ability to, for that to be the one that's kind of taken over the collective consciousness. Mm-hmm. I think that's one thing. So we, we, we kind of make jokes about Fight Club all the time and how much the IMDb typically loves it. But rewatching, I'm reminded of Fincher's, even in his lesser work, Fincher's really, really good. Yeah, <laughs> it's one of those things. It's yeah. kind of... It, you could see how I forgot that he started this movie with like the um, girl with the dragon tattoo type opening mm-hmm. sequence. Like, oh yeah, he came from music videos, and there's a lot of the stuff where you're like, that's right, he was in music videos, and you could, and it makes him, I don't know, he's able to translate that in a way that makes him much more visually interesting than most. It's writers. yeah, it reminds me mostly of like Spike Jones does kind of the same thing because he worked mainly in music videos beforehand too. So. It almost seems to me like there are two eras of Fincher, even though all his movies are fairly similar and he's always been a very masculine director. You, and people are kind of split in what they like the most from him. So you have, like in the 90s, The Game, Fight Club, and Seven. And then lately you've had more... Like Brent, Benjamin Button is like a weird one, but... Like I feel God, like that's God, an outlier and should yeah, be counted. It's, yeah, it's, I always forget he did that. One. But <laughs> then, now you have... Uh, Girl with the Dragon Tattoo and Gone Girl especially. And his new work, uh, he's just a better director. <laughs> and he, he he doesn't, he I don't think he's ever written his own script, but I think the things he's been choosing have been much more interesting pieces of literature. And The Social Network, I didn't mention The Social Network. I yeah. gotta mention that. <laughs> like, I, I did finally watch Gone Girl, and I, I, I do have to agree that like he's grown so much as a director, but it's still high quality product. Mm-hmm. Um, and and even Gone Girl like felt very masculine as a movie, he's despite a having despite having a female lead. It 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 still felt like a man's movie. Mm-hmm. Um, there's eight finger quotes around that, but uh. <laughs> I think I think a lot of the good thing that Fincher does is while he ha- he presents a very masculine body of work. In a way, it's still... He examines the masculinity yes. instead of just embodying it. Yes. yes, and I think that that's what makes for such interesting characters like Tyler Durden or Amy uh, Amy Dunn or like even Lisbeth Salander. Like, for the most part, I think he has a pretty good understanding of how to take that masculinity and examine it and kind of flip it on its head in a way. Mm-hmm. However, everyone that likes his movies, that's like poof, over their heads. Especially yeah, like the early <laughs> stuff like Fight Club. Yeah. yeah. It is much less. Actually, well, you know what? It seems kind of obvious now in Fight Club <laughs> that <laughs> it's toxic, but it it's not as overt as in some other movies. And that that was another thing watching it is people like pray like love Tyler Durden and his nihilism. Like the movie doesn't even love his nihilism. Like they were, it rejects it in the end. It's the ultimate like fan misunderstanding the point of the movie thing. It's kind of like how with horror movies you have the villains being the most lauded and mm. favorite characters, like Michael Myers or Pinhead or whatever. When it's like the movies aren't telling you that you should like them or agree with them. Really, it's mm. kind of making fun of them in a way. Yeah, yeah. I mean. <laughs> Yeah. Unless you had more to say, that kind of is a perfect intro to what I wanted to rant about. Get into like, it. Please. Let's talk <laughs> about masculinity. Let's talk about toxic masculinity and toxic masculinity as it's displayed by Fight Club. Um, disclaimer here, not all men, blah, blah, blah. Not all the masculinity is toxic. There's a subset, and it's unfortunately most of it. Literally, bite me. Don't <laughs> come after us about this. You should know what you're getting into by now. Don't at me. <laughs> 
don't worry, we have a straight white man here. Hi. He's a he's a friend. I, I, some of my best friends are straight white men, so I can say this. <laughs> Anywho, um, so Fight Club starts as uh, what I found really interesting, particularly in this rewatch of Fight Club, is now that I wasn't so wrapped up in the twist and in the like mental game between Tyler Durden and the narrator is that I could step back a little bit and look at more of the big picture stuff beyond the capitalism even. Um, particularly how Tyler Durden is created in the narrator's mind as a rebellion against what is considered to be a man. There's even like a whole, Tyler gives a whole big speech about like, this is what men have become and like raised by your moms and... raised by our moms and so now we value things instead of war and blah 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 so he, and admittedly <laughs> what he's rebelling against isn't a healthy view of masculinity either of like you are your job you are what you can earn you are what you can procure and um the whole man is the provider as the sole provider it's another form of and just like how men impose these weird rules upon society and it that hurts them just almost as much as it hurts you know the rest of us mm-hmm. um and so it started out as this rebellion against a bad form of masculinity and then turns into just another bad form of masculinity with like well if we can't um, be the sons raised by our fathers. We'll just like destroy everything. We'll beat each other up and break things. <laughs> we'll beat yes. each other up and break things. Like we'll we'll revel in our manhood by destroying something beautiful, like the scene with Angel Face played by Bledo. Um, uh, we'll destroy something beautiful. We'll destroy the economy because everything is meaningless, and um, we have nothing better to do with our lives than to act out. Um, I mean. To quote the late great Robin Williams, uh, he had this whole scene, this whole thing about when the, the reason that men are terrible at ruling the world is because they like to either destroy or fuck, um, and like if the, if we can't kill it, we'll fuck it. Um, <laughs> let me let me do the line right. It's like if we can't kill it, we'll fuck it. So a nuclear bomb is just a man attempting to fuck the world. <laughs> <laughs> um, but that comes through. So that's like the masculine ideal that Tyler Durden represents where um, that the narrator is trying to use to escape from the capitalist materialist masculine ideal that he had been previously trapped in and I think it's a really interesting thing and here's where like the fans of the movie just totally missed the point that neither of these is good that this is, <laughs> neither option is good balance is important you know learn how to just be chill with life a little bit more and instead everyone's like oh no this makes so much sense we're capitalist sheep we must destroy everything and yeah i think a lot of that problem too is that as uh as a society or well not as a whole society but like the men that live in our society are very much kind of conditioned that it is very much uh one end of the spectrum or the other like there's very little middle ground for that kind of like straight middle american white man to exist in that isn't like you're either gonna go kill some stuff or you're gonna go work in a cubicle and be miserable for your whole life and like we've kind of talked about this before where it's like it's not necessarily a bad thing to have a nine to five job hollywood has really packaged us this idea that like if you just have a normal job and you live your life you're not getting the fullness out of your life and i think that this movie does a good job of like turning that on its head even a little bit and also then throwing in this whole 
well, if you aren't going to do that, then you have to do this, like yeah. you said. Yeah. I think there are certain things about the movie that, like, the movie, they're obviously misinterpreting the movie, but there are certain things in the movie that lead to that, which is a certain glorification of the chaos, including that final scene where, like, you know, he gets, like, he gets even though girl. he rejects himself, yeah. he gets the girl and the buildings are all destroyed and uh, where is my mind is playing. And it's, yeah, you know. I, I mean, it, it, you have to acknowledge that, though, because chaos is fun and that's why we're so drawn to it. it like, it's fucking fun. Yeah. <laughs> Just ask uh, Jared Leto. Yeah, it's, it's fun <laughs> to fuck shit up. Exactly, like, we, are, we love to destroy things and, like, that's very true. That's like, why we like fireworks. I mean, Fourth of July is coming up, so I figure, like, that's an appropriate thing. Explosions! Uh, also, as a straight white man who has dealt with that kind of, like, anger that you don't know where to direct it now, <laughs> um, I do think there, like, there is an interesting way to deal with, like, to there are interesting ways to deal with masculinity, even that specific kind of masculinity that is very like the way society determines masculine, ma- uh, being masculine, and not t- entirely knowing yourself or whatever. But like, not in the way that people interpret Fight Club. Like, I think of like the way certain Richard Linklater movies are described seem mm-hmm. like more interesting, thoughtful explorations of uh, of masculinity that don't feed into this break shit. Well, I think it's funny because it's very it's very much the definition of performative masculinity. You have a bunch of like wimpy dudes in a basement punching mm-hmm. each other because they think it's gonna make them feel something or be something more special than they are. Yeah. And and as you were saying, if it being like a one or the other kind of thing, that's it brings in like the fragility of this kind of masculinity too, mm-hmm. where you can't have you either get the nine to five or you're like a badass who kills things or you you act very manly, but if you I don't know take care of your skin and paint your nails, suddenly you're gay. You mm-hmm. can't be a heterosexual unless you adhere to these specific rule sets, and there's no flexibility for self expression, and instead you wind up entrenched in basically a cult to this figurehead who has decided that this is the version of masculine we will be today mm-hmm. and it just leads to i mean and that's that's one of the be- like the best parts of the movie i think is that kind of seething anger that runs throughout as an undercurrent because you can tell that the narrator chafes under both of these regimes you have him in his office like willing to beat himself up to get out of his shitty job you have him sitting in the bathtub with Tyler Durden trying not to like feel the things he's clearly feeling <laughs> because that doesn't adhere to the port like the perfect portrait that Tyler has set up for him mm-hmm. yeah no I I agree completely and I had something else I was gonna say but I lost it <laughs> damn it I mean I, I do think you know the talk of Fight Club we kind of lose that Edward Norton's really good in this movie. <laughs> no, Edward Norton is great, um, and uh, I I really like the casting of him and Brad Pitt as like Edward Norton's great. He plays that good everyman kind of character, mm-hmm. and then you have Brad Pitt, late nineties Brad Pitt. So you have Brad Pitt at his sexiest. <laughs> Let's be real, we all thought it for a minute. <laughs> also, I real like Brad Pitt will probably never win a Best Actor award or anything, but I really like him, and I think he really excels at doing certain things. I love, I love him as kind of one note characters that are like uh, in here. He is very one note. It's just mm-hmm. like chaos all the time. Or in Burn After Reading, he's a total airhead who has like no, not really any 
uh, character development otherwise, but he just like really embodies it super well. I, it's I don't glorious know. bastards. He's yeah. the southern soldier. Like, like it, it, well, plus I think that like if we're looking at if we're going with like the time period of the late nineties, if you want to pick two dudes who most embody what film, like the climate of film in the nineties, Brad Pitt and Edward Norton are like your go-to guys. And that might be kind of because of this movie, but like, I just, I don't know. I feel like that's such a great parallel between the two of them to end up like, I don't know, eventually coming together or whatever. Yeah. Well, I, 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 I like what you were saying though, Tyler, about him being a great one note character. Cause you give him one note and he will sing it to the rafters. <laughs> And like, and you'll just enjoy every second of it. <laughs> he might not be like I don't know, Daniel Day Lewis or Walking Phoenix or someone who can do a lot of things. But when you give him one thing to do and tell him to go wild, he's he's one of the <laughs> most enjoyable people. It's almost that. a bummer because I feel like Brad Pitt has been overshadowed by Brad Pitt in a way. Mm-hmm. And like, it's nice to see these earlier roles from him where you can kind of get around that and remember like, oh yeah, this is like before we had to look at his face every two seconds on a tabloid and hear about every second of his personal life. I, like, he was just a dude that everybody liked to put in their movies. <laughs> no, he's not quite, so people talk a lot about people, uh, actors who we try to make movie stars who just should be great character actors. Mm-hmm. Um, almost exclusively white dudes, obviously, because those are the ones that try to make movie stars. <laughs> yes. But, um, Jack Courtney. I think him, he shouldn't even be. Now, Sam Worthington. Yeah, Sam Worthington, too. I was going to say, I used to put Joel Edgerton in that category, speaking of Midnight Special, but he's actually really good as, like, <laughs> not trying to put him in front of a giant temple movie. But uh, I, I do think Brad Pitt's a pretty great movie star, but seeing, I think he is probably his best oftentimes in these in smaller roles and God, he's just, I just, or just like I really love Brad Pitt. Yeah. Like I, I am probably never more typical straight white male film lover than when I'm like, I love Matt Damon and Brad Pitt so much. <laughs> but I for real love Matt Damon and Brad Pitt yeah. so no, much. <laughs> Brad, Brad Pitt is an underutilized character actor <sighs> secretly. Yeah, to be fair, and like I, I really love Edward Norton, so I guess that's up there. My favorite part about this movie is he's like such a skinny little wishy-washy guy and he literally did American History X like eight or nine months before this where he's like ripped as fuck. So yeah. I'm just really curious. Is like, Did he just like lay on the floor and eat ice cream for eight months straight? Like how did this happen? Like when he, t- like, when he takes no, off... You, like, put, you put the right like shirts on a person yeah, too. Yeah, no, like get that their, cost- their, their costuming department was great because they oh, did... Some of, the, some of the set design. Some of the sets mm-hmm. are so good. Yeah, but like, again, have to like continue this thing where we're blowing David Fincher over this movie the way that the Fight Club fanboys do but with for different things for different things <laughs> for more appropriate things <laughs> like, 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 no like he just he just did such a good job with this movie brought together the right cast um, he's a great director of actors too and I like he's so visual I kind of forget that sometimes but when you consider most of his movies have a great male performance at the center of it a lot of the time but like I Ben Affleck and Gone Girl is really good just because he's embodying a certain kind of beefy kind of dull man in that in that you're role you're like old high school quarterback type yeah, yeah or like the social network obviously is Jesse Eisenberg this Edward Norton and Brad Pitt are really good like and, he's a great director of, uh, and we are big stands for the girl with the dragon tattoo yes yeah I mean, I I think that David Fincher does a really good job of taking, like, bringing out these different aspects of 
I think it was like a, men's lives. I was well, say, like, I think it's a little unfair to me for me to restrict it to men too yeah, because uh, yeah, because he got uh, a great performance out of Helena Bonham Carter in this too. Mm-hmm. And then Gone like, Girl and the Girl with the Dragon Tattoo had. I think it's yeah. because he is actually like outside, like it gets lost in his fan base, but he is actually really good at examining these things and applying them in different ways and mm-hmm. making sure that while maybe the masculinity or whatever is the focus of the movie, like obviously not in Gone Girl or in Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, but like he's good at looking at that and still being able to give a fair shot to the female characters and to make sure that they are getting like what they're what they're due and what they're worth out and of their performance. I think it's also commendable because again, he does not like most of his things are adaptations, whether they're adaptations by the author, like with Gone Girl or by someone else adapting the material. And I think you gotta credit what he is picking out to direct too with many of these things. Mm-hmm. Especially considering it all started with Alien Three. <laughs> God, I always <laughs> forget no, about that. God dang. Um, but like with Helena Bonham Carter, since we're on the subject of female she's character, so good. she's so like this. Like she's always plays like those weird, um, offbeat, quirky characters. But this, except for uh, one's a period piece, sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> but this particular performance of hers, I feel, is like the most naturally weird I see her in mm-hmm. movies. Like instead of her overacting like she did in the last Alice in Wonderland movie, or like being just evil like she is in the Harry Potter movies where she's fairly one note as, um, you know, her Death Eater character, which is... I'm a bad nerd because I just lost... Bellatrix. Bellatrix. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, no, I lost a nerd point. Um, (laughs) But, like, her as Bellatrix, like, she's obviously playing a a children's villain character, but Mm -hmm. in this, she's she's weird, she's... Um, unsettling, you understand why the narrator finds her so fucking annoying. But at the same time, like, she's also smart, and eventually, like, she knows when she, like, doesn't want to be seen with this dude anymore, and she sticks up for herself in, like, weird little ways, and I think a lot of that, I feel like she's probably one of those actresses that her performance really depends on the director that she's working with, because, like, obviously Tim Burton's not going to tell his girlfriend to rein it in at all or just chill out for two seconds. But, like, David Fincher's going to be like, you need to stop being a freaky weirdo and yeah. rein it in. Yeah. But, like, so, so, like, her character was so, of Marlo was, yeah, she's weird and annoying and mm. kind of off-putting, but she's a very natural weird and annoying and Yeah, off-putting. she's very much she's human. Like, yeah. I can, like, yeah, there's definitely, like, I can probably think of a couple people I know or have, like, people that I have heard of that are like that in real life. Mm-hmm. Was, we haven't even mentioned yet how uh, meticulous Fincher can be and then you mentioning that with her I'm like oh yeah that is probably a reason that his like the set design is so good the visual because he's so meticulous that everything has to be perfect I've said this before but David Fincher is really my favorite example of like when we get like a like a pop auteur in a way in which he's like was, a, a Stephen King for us yes in which his movies are accessible and fun for people who aren't maybe like looking at it as in depth as we do but at the same time there's so much to pick apart and look at and appreciate that it turns into more of like you could almost say that there is kind of that indie vibe to all of his movies even if they are big budget productions and I don't know if that's coming like maybe it does come from working in music videos maybe it's more of just like a personal choice or working with adaptations but Whatever he does, he does it really well all the time. <laughs> yeah, I, I got that vibe from Gone Girl when I finally watched it. Like, this feels like an indie um, festival piece mm-hmm. than a big budget David Fincher, um, Ben Affleck 
vehicle. Well, and I think that's like he's so involved in every aspect of the film that it makes it all around a great piece. Where like there are definitely films where you can tell the director is really good, but like maybe the editor didn't do such a great job, or the sound effects are off in certain places, or just stuff, like little stuff like that. But like with his very obsessive, nitpicky way of dealing with everything, you know you're gonna get a great like polished piece of art every time that he does a movie. And that's why like kind of like getting into the girl with the dragon tattoo, I like I, I maybe I'm not as much of a Fincher stan as I was when I was younger, but I still remember 2010 when it was announced that, like he was directing Girl with the Dragon Tattoo and who the cast was and being like, like <laughs> so excited. Like, and that is still like one of my top five favorite movies probably. So mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Man, I forgot Seven was his second movie. That's ridiculous. Yeah. Sorry, I, was, I forgot how early Seven was. Well, since we were talking about Marla, how about some of those other side characters, you know, like <laughs> the the poor besotted boss that like never so had many, a chance. There are so many people. I don't know why. Like for something about this movie, like the people who only have one or two scenes or speaking roles. I'm like, I just want to know what this was like for that person. And there are podcasts actually interviewing those people. <laughs> um, I was there too, or something. I, I believe is what the podcast is called. But like. The lady on the, the the black lady on the airplane that he talked to for a bit. I'm just like, what was she thinking? Like this whole movie. <laughs> this movie's about a whole thing, and she just has this little thing where she's like, "Is that what car company do you work for?" <laughs> a major. Or like the guy, any of the guys in the Fight Club who mm-hmm. don't aren't like below Bledo, basically. Mm-hmm. I'm just like, did they build up characters for themselves? Or they're like, he yeah, his dad left him when he was when he was ten years old, and his mom was a jerk. Or like, did they build up these whole things themselves? Yeah, I know. I watched this movie um, when I rewatched it for this podcast. I watched it on the Amazon Prime streaming service, which is great because you can turn on the Amazon X-ray vision, which will give you like side, like yeah. a side scrolling, like who the actors in, are in and the scene, scene yeah. and like some trivia that you can pull up and look at. And so like all of the characters of like the Fight Club characters, besides, you know, obviously Bob um, had Meatloaf. played by Meatloaf, didn't really have names. There was one character he features quite heavily, heavily in the Fight Club scenes and in the Project Mayhem scenes. Um, but he's known strictly as the mechanic, um, which you don't know he's the mechanic until the scene where they're told to start a fight with someone else, and he's the one sitting outside the auto body shop spraying people with his hose. You get the Mater D is another one. The Mater D. Um, though Bledo's got a character name. He's called Angel Face. Mm-hmm. Um, and then one guy I really noticed was the guy who was with Bob when Bob gets shot. Ricky. He pop, like, He has a name. Okay. Yeah. Because he, he pops up in a couple other scenes too. Mm-hmm. And then, I really he, like him. He was him. the first one to stand on the steps and get, like. Was I him? I was thinking of like a bigger guy. I th- I thought we I thought we were talking about the younger guy. Uh, he, the guy the guy that shot like they shot him in the head. No, that's the mechanic. Things. Oh, that's the mechanic. That's, okay, the, that's mechanic. the guy. He because he stood out to me a lot. I just like that there was that continuity where they kept a lot of the same guys and they mm-hmm. kind of had their own little character arcs within the movie, mm-hmm. even as they were like. Didn't, were such insignificant parts relative to the other people. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like a cast of characters that really helped flesh it out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and 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 again, they all had that like all just the details. Of yeah, the they all they all had that like little bit of interest sparking of like I want to know more yeah. of like even even though I know you're not important in the long <laughs> scheme of things, like I want to know more. Um, <laughs> you become not important because you were like slaves to the corporate masters and now you're not important because you know you're part of this 
mayhem army. Yeah, it's like you, it's very much like you trade one thing for another. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of, now that we're getting into like, so like the the specific plot deal details aren't as interesting as like everything else with the movie. Obviously. The characters but are definitely like sometimes. The... <laughs> sometimes you wonder what happens after the credits roll, and this is definitely one where it's like. They just blew up several buildings. Like, <laughs> and also, the actual leader is gone, and Edward Norton found out that he's been doing all these things for the longest time. So, there's the. Yeah. Interestingly enough, the novel doesn't end there. The novel has the scene where he wakes up in the hospital, and basically all of his lackeys are like, Hey. So what's next? Don't worry, we got you covered. And he's like, No, I don't want to do it. And they're like, Don't worry, we're just gonna do it for you. So we got it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, that's pretty much the end of the book. Yeah. <laughs> it's very hopeless. It's very oh, much like, like you've created this monster and now it's going to rampage across yeah. the world. See, you know, if it had had that and it might have not have rung as like it might not have uh, caught on as much as it did if it had that ending. But it'd be a little more clear what they're getting across in the movie if it had that. Yeah, and it's funny because Polaniak says that he likes the movie ending better because it's more hopeful or whatever. And I'm like, but how? Like, really, we just don't know what's going to happen. We don't, I don't... want... Maybe we shouldn't be hopeful after what's transpired in this movie. I don't think so. I, they, like... raised a, uh, they raised a male-dominated cult that is built on beating the shit out of people and breaking everything. And ruining the entire world economy yeah. by destroying the credit records. Like, what? Yeah. Also, do we want to talk about Mr. Robot? Monica hasn't seen it yet, so I don't know if we want to get too much into Mr. Robot. I don't want to get too much into it. It has a lot of the same themes running through it, but yeah. I do think, just as a note, I do think that ultimately Mr. Robot stands better oh. and on its own. Yeah. So I, I think that, again, that's one of those things where Fight Club has been, like, Rashomoned into mm-hmm. the public consciousness so much that... It becomes impossible for people to separate it and see something as like on its own merit, which is kind of a bummer. And even when certain things, and you know, that's another thing that 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 shows just like another example. Like it is a better example of this, and also another example how of how you can be a very certain type of like male antihero show, Mm -hmm. but actually be aware of that and be interesting and have and be doing other things as well. Yeah. Also, I don't know where else to put this in, but I just feel like we cannot get away from the end of the movie without talking about the literal blowjob that the narrator gives to Tyler Durden's gun to get away from him. Like, Wait, what? <laughs> Oral sex between the men? But that's not straight. <laughs> I know. Like, I just... Okay, I guess with that one scene, I could see where maybe there's some homoeroticism in this movie. In you that mean one Brad head. Pitt spending literally every scene where it's just him and Edward Norton together partially undressed, at least shirt unbuttoned to here. And when you realize that <laughs> obviously Tyler Durden is not a person, that is what Edward Norton, like Edward Norton, his idealized version of himself is like, is Brad Pitt, just lounging <laughs> half nude. Or even like, like, I don't even know, my, my main take on this is like, not even like his ideal version of himself, but like his ideal counterpart, like his ideal partner in a way. Partner, you say. <laughs> yes, and I think it's really funny that the like the only way for him in the end to get away from that thing that he's created is to fillet it and then kill it. I don't know what to be proud of. <laughs> I mean, 
mean, like, no, I, I get where you're coming from on that one, though, because the beginning of the film is all about uh, the narrator talking about how lonely he is. Like, mm-hmm. he lives alone in his house with his stuff, in, or his apartment with his stuff, and he goes on all these trips and has his, like, single-serving friends with his single-serving coffee. Mm-hmm. And this, and Tyler Durden then becomes this idealized, this is the person I want to spend time with. Yeah. Like, so he just needed a hobby. Or, like, to join a club. He, he needed some... A better club. A better club. <laughs> he needed to join a club, not make a very toxic and dangerous club. Yeah, no, like... Well, maybe check out, like, the local, I don't know, arcade or, like, Dungeons and Dragons. Yeah, no, precisely. Check out punk shows. Like. Precisely. It's, again, that, like, balancing that nine-to-five life with something that you are passionate about and finding something fun to do that gives you some vitality and then gives you friends like you know what American watching his- movies and making stupid podcasts about also them. like honestly- Maybe american history x is like the other version where he did find a hobby <laughs> <laughs> and the hobby was hating with nazis oh man <laughs> You know what? Maybe Edward Norton should just stay lonely. You know, and, no, no hobbies, Fred. Honestly, no, no, no so, more clubs. Like I just like the again, like I know we kind of harp on this love, but it's like honestly, just like entire fan base of this movie that misinterprets it. Go fuck yourself, because honestly, like that reading of this is comes from such an unimaginable place of privilege where it's like, yeah, blowing up the entire world would be better than living in this boring life. Like, do you know what makes life less boring? Financial stability, good friends. They literally fun just can't hobbies. escape their own brain. Where they yeah. so much anchor. Like, well, I'm no, no, sorry. they're not. They're not in their own brains. They're way up their own ass. Okay, <laughs> well, like that's why I say like, <laughs> like, I, like I actually like not that I need to identify with anything because there are plenty of there are plenty of things for me. But like I do uh, on a certain level, I I see why it happens because there is a certain like young like like when you're when you're kind of directionless and you're like you know you're depressed and you're you're a teenager and you have hormones like you do have a certain amount of anger that you don't know how to exercise and you like you kind of just want to hit something yeah but it's also like everybody has that and like the only people like the yeah. rest of us find ways to deal with it that are healthy yeah so the, the, the solution is not finding a thing to punch yeah the solution is finding a more healthy outlet the solution is also not like ruin the economy for everyone else because like you know what makes me feel happy and secure and safe in my life having money in my savings account (laughs) being able to say eliminate the debt not oh my god well you know like it's like for me it's like i can go out to dinner and have a good time with my friends and not feel guilty and stressed about the money that i spent on it like to me like that's fine like that's a good way to like enjoy your life i wish i had money to blow on ikea furniture right i love ikea i love i love that cute cat mug i'm gonna drop 20 bucks on that right now yeah. It's gonna go great in the center of my dining room table. <laughs> but finding again, like finding those little things that let you blow off steam, like, and it might be physical that works for you. I mean, for me, I went into martial arts mm-hmm. and I, I climb, I rock climb, I, I do physical things. But you I'll, didn't join like a illicit underground club for no. I, where, I, where when you beat someone up too much, there's no. There are bodies just, in her uh, basement. Well, yes, but uh, (laughs) but that's a totally other hobby. But like, as far as like the physical hobbies, it's like I go out and I like I did the martial arts for thirteen years, and you know, to the point where at one point I went national. So (laughs) no, no, (laughs) 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 but like, but again, I'm I'm yes, totally just gonna toot my own horn and forget about pretending not to be but that's a, <laughs> but that's like a healthy way to channel your 
that's how I channeled my teenage angst and aggression. Right, like, and also for being like specific, like I don't know, with your like with your life and everything, you probably have way more things to be angry and upset about than like fucking Joe Bob from accounting, <laughs> who's white and straight and has never like struggled in his life. Like you can enjoy the outlet like outlets like this without applying it to every other part of your life and making life <laughs> miserable for everyone else yeah. who isn't like fuck the man. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. No, find a hobby. Art, like, maybe these Fight Club guys would have benefited greatly from falling into, you know, like, the hardcore metal scene. Or maybe if they tried making out with some dicks, they would have found it. Honestly, (laughs) I feel like being a little bit gay would solve so many problems for everyone. Just, like, accept it. You can be a little bit gay, and it's okay. It's fluid. Sexuality is fluid. Mm -hmm. Like, you can do whatever you want, and it's fine. (laughs) That's the message of fun. With consent. (laughs) You can do whatever you want with consent, and it's fine. Consent is important. Consent is always important. (laughs) Sorry, we live in a world where consent is, like... <laughs> Felt like we just had to throw in that disclaimer just to be safe. We haven't even m- mentioned how, like, there might be a little bit of a correlation between the people who think this movie is, like, the epitome of everything and how they want to exercise their white male anger and... Donald Not Trump is talk about their sexuality or... Donald Trump is running for president much because of some of those same... Uh, Angry white people, angry white straight people. Yeah, who can't. some some of those same uh, the same vein, like that that river, that river, just like it's they it overlaps. It's just the same river, and they're different. It definitely, so, yeah, no, I think that there's a diagram overlap. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I think a, better, a lot of a lot of people take their like what they feel is a desire for anarchism or whatever, and they funnel it right back into the thing that they claim to hate. And I think that's where a lot of like. Trump supporters come from, especially the younger people, because for me, like, I can't fathom a young 20 person who thinks that anything he says is a good idea, but... Like, <laughs> but they're going around going, like, freedom, freedom, and fascism. I guess, yeah, it's like, I guess <laughs> if I felt for some reason that something had been taken from me, even though there was nothing that was mine to begin with, maybe I would feel like that was a smart, like, course of action to follow. I don't want to get into too much. I just thought there's a very clear uh, parallel. Yeah, very For clear sure, parallel yeah. between those two things. Like yeah. what makes people agree with Tyler Durden in this movie and what makes people agree with Donald Trump in real life. <laughs> we're all like a little too sensitive and maybe we just maybe if we just punched each other in the face and we're cool with it, everything would be alright. Episode title Tyler Durden is Donald Trump. <laughs> <laughs> we can continue Tyler that Trump, conversation Donald when the Durden. microphones off. <laughs> like a little heart and then Tyler Trump slash Donald Durden. <laughs> Oh my God. It's even got the alliteration. Yeah, yeah that's beautiful. what I was thinking. I know. <laughs> we are starting to veer wildly off the track, so I think I that think means that we're. Well <laughs> yeah. I think we've covered at least the important stuff of yes, Fight Club. Though you could easily talk about this movie for another hour, just talking about David Finch's. We'll um, be back to Fincher a lot. He, yeah, as yeah. my stat will show, he's he makes some appearances on this. He's yeah. good. Like he's yeah, we could talk more about his stuff. We could talk more about the immaculate acting um i do feel we can't leave this movie without at least saying bitch tits once and meatloaf wearing <laughs> bitch tits <laughs> um so that's that's all i've got I to wrap need up weight class, classes at the fight club because even without the tits like he was a bear of a human he's being. a large man that is not fair for edward norton to fight him that's just no that's i mean i feel like i know there are, there are only so many rules but i feel like there should be a gentleman's agreement about like height and broad weight. shoulders and weight. Yes. Yeah, just like and a general tits. weight class. Yeah. <laughs> but like additional piss. <laughs> Get 
if there is, if there is if there is no one in your weight class, a partner will be assigned to you. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, never have I seen tits so well weaponized until the music video for "Turn Down for What." <laughs> I'm glad that Kayla's the one just shaking her head. I feel like I'm so often in that position. Incredible. <laughs> well, I'm just really glad because Ben was trying to get me to agree to a bet last night that one of us would start the podcast with a joke about how the podcast was over immediately because we couldn't talk about Fight Club. And I just want to say I'm proud of all of us for not going there. But it's it's a little too easy now that that stopped me from making other jokes in the past. But... I'm just glad I didn't agree to the bet because I'm poor. That's I'm it. surprised you didn't. That seems like a very me thing to do. Look, I just... Uh, Ben was like, are you not agreeing to the bet because you don't have faith in them or because you do? And I was like, well, I have faith in Monica. (laughs) I have less faith in Tyler on the bad easy joke front, but... (laughs) Great easy jokes. So good all the time. Yes. (laughs) All right, so now that we've wrapped that up, I guess we can go into recommendations. You did it! I did it! Yay! (laughs) Monica... Lead us off. What is your recommendation post Fight Club? Oh, God. Um, I want to give an example of a movie that involves like people punching each other but is actually good. So I am going to go with Girl Fight with Michelle Rodriguez. That was what I was thinking when you said that. <laughs> yes! Which is a- I thought the Chad Tater Fight movie. Oh, oh my God. God. Tyler. <laughs> But no, like, but a girl fight, um, admittedly, the main character's a girl, so y'all straight white men may not be able to identify with a Hispanic girl. It's Michelle Rodriguez, though, like, She's everyone's favorite Hispanic girl. Mm. So. Yes. But, uh, <laughs> but that I feel like it's a good example of having all this anger, of being in, like, a dis like an awful situation, but then channeling it into something that gets you out. A real awful situation, real? and not just one you made up in your head. Exactly. <laughs> an, an awful situation of circumstance rather than of your own making. So, yes, I recommend Girl Fight with Michelle Rodriguez. <laughs> Karen Kusama, back this year with the invitation. Karen Kusama, often eviscerated by Hollywood for no good reason, and was shafted in a lot of ways and I have a lot of feelings about that that will not serve well here but what about you? (laughs) Um, I'm going to go the easy route and pick a better adventure movie I feel and I mean we have oft stand for the girl with the dragon tattoo and I have maybe suggested it before but I don't care (laughs) if you haven't seen it before you should have already I think that this is another great example of David Fincher adapting a work and making it stronger in a way and choosing the correct actors and actresses and despite Rooney Mara's questionable choices in recent years I still will stand for her I know she's got the right. All your faves are problematic. Yes, but I know she's got the right heart in there somewhere. But anyway, um, Girl with the Dragon Tattoo is super. It's it's long but rewarding. It has a great soundtrack. It has phenomenal performances from the leads, and I think it's just kind of the natural evolution for like book adapting Fincher from Fight Club. Just gonna. You know what's really difficult to do. 
search uh, by Google for the best movies about masculinity. Because <laughs> it returns, like, return American King, Sniper. Gang best manly man movies. But, like, oh, man. Uh, because the all the ones, all the ones <laughs> I'm thinking of that I know are, like, observations on masculinity I haven't actually seen yet, so I can't recommend them. Except for that one time I did recommend You did recommend movies. a movie you haven't seen before. <laughs> I See, I like my favorite one that came up was Try. All right, Tyler, come on, get to the point. Okay, so actually, I did think of one. So when it comes to young, younger than this, but young men, you know, having trouble with their fit and trying to find themselves, and maybe finding a hobby that involves punching things that helps them get those demons out. Spider Man. Yeah. No, no, that's fair. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. <laughs> Which Spider-Man, though? There's, like, so many. Garfield or Maguire? This timeline is so confusing. <laughs> Garfield, Maguire. Um, who's the new one? Who's I'm, the new kid? Tom Holland. No, Tom Holland is Draco Malfoy. Never mind. Tom Holland, and he was really good in Captain America. He was so really I good. do look forward to Captain America, you say? Chris Evans. I did it. I did it. God. <laughs> you brought it home. <laughs> Chris Evans is a beautiful man. <laughs> well, we're talking about people who embody traditionally masculine forms and yet are good and well, kind-hearted this people. This is actually I think she feels very strongly about, so I'm just going to let Chris Evans is a really good example of that. He just wants to be a star dork dog dad, and... I guess Captain America theoretically could be another example of a movie about the masculine... There's an entire essay about Captain America as performative masculinity that we can put in the show notes because it is actually really good. Excellent. Excellent. I'm surprised I thought of the super masculine superhero... Uh, thing. I can't believe I didn't take this opportunity I to know. recommend Captain America. What I can't the hell? Believe I, I can't believe I stumbled into. <laughs> <laughs> Look, you are your own enemy. You're the one who opened the Chris Evans corner. <laughs> I think there, there's like a there's a Stock, there's a Stockholm syndrome thing here somewhere where it's like now because she's done so Please many times I can't help. Chris Evans is in the podcast Kayla. and I. <laughs> If, if you brought need, it on my own self. If you need to punch something, Tyler, I have a heavy bag in my basement. So if that'll make you feel better as a straight white man. So what which Spider-Man Spider cool are the... you recommending? We didn't even get to the that. The first Spider-Man. <laughs> okay, maybe not the first. There was probably another to- Tobey Maguire Spider-Man. The first two of them. And yeah, that's about it. <laughs> and maybe the upcoming one, which will feature a lot of Iron Man. Ooh. That actually is pretty cool. God, why does he get to be in every movie? I just because he, he started money. it all. I know, but like, it's noxious. I love him. Also, but... it makes more sense for like given the timeline for Iron Man to be the one. And okay, uh, Kayla, why don't you give us some Fight Club trivia? I'm sure there are literally unfathomable amounts of there trivia for this is goddamn movie. So much trivia, and I really have had a hard time uh, picking one. I'm going to go with the, the line that I feel, again, we would be remiss to leave without. So the original pillow talk scene had Marla saying, I want to have your abortion. Oh, that <laughs> pillow talk scene. <laughs> I yes. thought we were talking not about... The, not the fight pillow talk. Not, not the fight pillow talk where they're sharing the okay. beer, because that's no. where I went. <laughs> no. So the uh, president of production, Laura Ziskin, was horrified by that line, which I guess, you know, a normal person probably would be. Um, and David Fincher was like, fine, I'll change it. It was 1990s Hollywood. Yeah, David Fincher was like, fine, I'll change it, but whatever I change it to, you have to let me put in the movie, and that's it, and you can't fight with me about it. So that's how we end up with the line, I haven't been fucked like that since grade school. Honestly, I, I can't remember what it is, but I've heard a similar line, and I couldn't remember which one was in this movie, so as it was coming up, I was like, 
does she say grade school or does she say I haven't been fucked like that since like an uncle or something like that? Because there's a line like that in the movie, and I'm just like, of course, Ziskin was like, of course, Ziskin was like, that's horrible. Just put the abortion line back in. He was like, nah, too late. (laughs) We made a deal. Which is very Fincher. It reminds me kind of of like the ridiculous baseball hat bullshit in Gone Girl where Ben Affleck wouldn't wear the baseball (laughs) hat because he's a giant baby on a sports team. Have you seen his rant on the first episode of Bill Simmons' uh, Any Given Wednesday? No. Where he goes off so hard on football that people thought he was wasted. I don't and know he had I, to address it. I don't know if there's anything I care less about in the entire world than Ben Affleck's overzealous sports opinions. So, no, I have not heard that. Speaking of problematic phase. <laughs> doing it up all over town. Mm. Affleck. That's all right. I've always liked Damon more anyway. <laughs> oh, my God. I like Affleck as a director, not as much as an actor. Born is coming. I know. I'm excited. I, yes. <laughs> All right, what is your trivia, Tyler? Or your stat I, of the week? I have a, a stat of the week, and I have to pull up my screen here. Ooh. It's a pretty simple one, as this is our first venture movie. I'm just going to go ahead and mention that there are currently one, two, three... Well, Fincher definitely seems like he'd be right up the IMDb 250s alley. There are only three Fincher movies on the 250. And they are Fight Club, naturally, Seven, and Gone Girl. The social network is only a 7.7 and is not on there. And Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, people just don't like as much as we do. So only three Finchers on the 250. Despite him being probably our favorite of the uh, doodly dude stuffs that's on the 250. Maybe that's where it shows in that maybe his like nuanced uh, takes on things show in that the two fifty only rewards the least nuanced ones. <laughs> I guess, or, like, or the pl- or the ones where the nuance is so subtle that the majority doesn't miss it, doesn't pick up on it at all. Speaking of that, Batman vs Superman: Dawn of Justice is currently a seven point zero. Thank God, which is out of- way too high. Yeah, but it's out of the 250. Yeah, but the fact that it's even that high is preposterous. And Warcraft, so let's see what Warcraft's at. I can't wait till we inevitably have to do... Warcraft's a 7.5. I can't wait till we inevitably have to do a Warcraft episode because of some fucking campaign where they put it back into the 250 by voting. You are... The 250 is so fucking on brand. I can't... I, I can't with it. I need to actually watch the Warcraft movie. That that game only stole several years of my life. Ben was going to make me go see it with him and then went and saw it when Tyler and I went to do The Conjuring so that he spared me. That's good. Nice. <laughs> that has been our show this week. Kayla, do you want to wrap it up? Uh, yes. If you would like to connect with Let the Right Films in on social media, if you would like to be on the podcast and have not yet emailed us about it, please email us. The email is ltrfipod at gmail.com. The most fun and interactive way to get a hold of us is our Twitter, which is also LTRFIPod. It's mostly Tyler, sometimes me, doing ridiculous things. We have a Facebook page, which is facebook.com slash let the right films in. And are we still doing the newsletter? It's going to start back up soon. We're going to start back up our newsletter soon, which will probably include other fun secret things that we teased on last week's episode. It's a time-consuming thing, and I had to revamp it. And it's com slash LTRFI. Uh, probably the other most important one, we have a Tumblr where we post show notes, and Tyler is now obsessed with gifts, so we post a lot of those. LetTheRightFilmsIn.tumblr.com. Alternately, if you're more of a Pinterest person, we also have a Pinterest, which is LetTheRightFilmsIn. 
LTR or FIFA? LTR or It's always one of those two. <laughs> Hard to keep straight. Mm-hmm. And last but not least, Tyler has a letterbox where he does reviews and rankings and whatever is letterbox.com slash Tyler Tells Tales. As previously stated, we are in the process of working on a fun and cool thing, which we should probably be recording an announcement for soon. So keep your eyes peeled for that. We would love it if you would rate and review us on iTunes. Thanks again to the random one person who did that. Nobody else stepped up and did it, so uh, maybe you should get on that. Shade to everyone. If you care about us or love us at all, you, know, you would actually, rate us on iTunes. You know, I I, I, I uh, took my own advice and I went through and I rated most of my favorite podcasts on iTunes just because, you know. If I'm you're going to ask for it, you may as well do it. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Have you done that, Kayla? Yes. Oh. <laughs> a better person. I don't use iTunes. I don't either. I, I use SoundCloud for everything. I have an iPhone. So. Oh, okay. uh, <laughs> it's an Apple. I can just Droids go on there. there. I can just you, go on there and do Apple it. Fan. But I know but, uh, y'all yes. use Apple. So in closing, Jurassic World is a terrible movie and always will be. Thank you for listening. Thank you, Monica, for being on. Thank you it's for a having pleasure, me as always. Yes. And yeah, we're gonna go drink some apple cider now. So peace. See you at the parents' conference. so used to having to cut me off. And yeah, I'm like, wait, thing. you're just letting me do it? I know. Maybe it's because we're sitting at a table. I don't know, but I was on the ball. I would like to point out that every time I'm on your podcast, all these two times, I do tend to be a little... Uh, uh, Monica was the one who made us instill the uh, two things per week <laughs> rule. Was it Monica because who made us, or was it me who ruined it for everyone? Well, you ruined it for everyone, everyone by... You ruined it for everyone by, like, rambling on and on, and then that led to me, like, texting you, like, okay, two things. Two things. <laughs> anyway. <laughs>